Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They're incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made are like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, trymiracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. Fake the Nation, episode 214. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we cut the crusts off the mini cucumber sandwich of democracy so we don't have to chew so hard. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and I just made myself really crave one of those ridiculously elaborate afternoon teas you get in England. Anyone with me, which one of our UK audience uh, members wants to make that happen for me by mail? Um, Today, we're going to talk conventions, and we're going to get really weird and talk about what happened after World War II with the uh, blowing up of a middle class. I mean, like as in a a glowing up of a a middle class. And finally, we're going to talk about Masterclass. What is it actually selling? Folks, today's panel is so 
delightful. I just, I can't, I truly can't handle it. Uh, joining me from his perch in Los Angeles, we have comedy writer, producer. You've seen all of his handiwork on Conan and The Daily Show. He's really fucking fancy and he's written for everything. I've had the distinct pleasure uh, doing a writing job with him currently where we save democracy. Uh, I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about it. But anyways, me and Rob are saving democracy, so don't worry. Um, and uh, anyways, he's just fantastic and I've known him forever. And it's Rob Kuttner. Hey, Rob. <laughs> I also have joining me on the show today. She's an actor. You've seen her on Grace and Frankie, and she's so great on it. Tune into that show just to see her. She's also host of the podcast, How Did This Get Made, which is one of our like sister podcasts here on Earwolf. It's so fucking funny. It's like just fantastic. And she's also uh, the founder of the Jane Club, which she's going to tell you about at the end of the show, which is also a really fantastic phenomenon. Uh, and she's just all around wonderful. And her name is June Diane Raphael. Hey, June. Oh my gosh. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Oh. And I'm so relieved that you both are saving democracy because I've been really, I've, ha- I've been having massive anxiety. So I can just relax. Relax. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah. Because I've been doing so many phone banks and you know, all sorts of activism, nope, but good. I guess I, I didn't good. have to. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're here, me and Rob. Oh, that's uh, wonderful news. <laughs> speaking of democracy, let's get into topic number one. We have a VP. We have a P. And now we finally have a nominating convention. This week, we've seen speeches upon short speeches in the first ever virtual convention. Did your pound the gene cry during the actual roll call? <laughs> yes, I did. I fucking cried. It was so lovely. Uh, sadly, we're recording on Wednesday, so we haven't seen Kamala's speech. We haven't seen Biden's speech. Uh, but we have seen some stuff here on Monday and Tuesday nights. Uh, so first, my question for you folks is, what what was your initial uh, reaction, June? Okay, so gosh, I I, I, um, I really appreciate hearing your excitement and sort of uh, rallying around the convention. I'm having a difficult time. <laughs> I'm having. There's something about the weather right now, and everything is reminding me of 2016. The inevitability. Mm-hmm. The conversation, the sort of obviousness of it all um, is is really bringing me back. And so I am not experiencing this convention with any joy. It's not creating excitement in me. I'm in a full panic spiral, but I'm also on two days away from my menstrual cycle. <laughs> beginning. So I do, I, I, I name that because I think it is important because I uh, suffer from, from pretty serious PMS. And right now is usually the time where I'm like, uh oh, like the world's closing in. And yeah, so it's real. I'm, it's real. It, oh, oh God. It's so real. I'm, I'm on a hormonal roller coaster ride. And this convention right now is, um, what did I think of it? I mean, I loved Jill Biden. I, I loved her. I loved everything she said. I, I cried. Um, But I'm also so – there's – like I feel like um, every emotional reaction I'm having, there's also a a serious voice coming in of like, here you go again. Here here it is again. Don't don't get excited. Like I think this is 50-50, and if it is, it's going for Trump. I'm just feeling terrified. I have to be honest. I'm feeling terrified. Uh, Rob, how do you feel? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I kind of agree with June a little bit. Um, 
Are uh, you, but, you're also on your menstrual cycle. Hey, that's what I would say if I was an 80s comic asshole who was like, oh, bitches, right? They fucking bleed or whatever. Listen, we all get it. <laughs> we all get it at the same time. OK, um, sorry. Continue. I mean, look, I, at their best, conventions are not only preaching to the choir. It's like a mega church that you're preaching to. And it's such a love fest that it's so internally directed that I kind of just call bullshit on the whole thing. I mean. And and June makes a great point. It's like in 2016, I mean, that was a fantastic convention that they threw. That was like... Bill Clinton and the balloons. I mean, it, it was... <laughs> I, I had liftoff. I mean, it, I really was thrilled. I mean, it was there were so many great things about it, and it was so touching and stuff. And, and you know, also, like, when I went to The Daily Show, there's this weird... I don't know how they assign it, but, like, is it always Democrats and Republicans? But I feel like the Democrats put together this inspiring thing. It's not always perfect, but 2016 was just spot on, really inspiring. And then Republicans show up the next week and they're like, ah, screw them. Who hate, we hate these guys. Everything sucks. And everyone's like, yeah, and it just ruins the whole taste in your mouth, like the whole for everybody. And so I don't know what the choreography of that or, or if we get to like switch off sometimes, but that already pre-ruins it for me to some extent. Um, but, I, but again, like tw- so you 2016. You want to go second. Yeah, you want the lasting taste in your mouth well, to be of de- Democrats in your mouth. I want the taste of Bill Clinton in my mouth last. Wait a minute. That didn't come out right. Oh. <laughs> we're just doing 80s comics today. That's, That's what 90s. We're doing. It's 90s, okay? I try to keep up. <laughs> uh, you know what, though? I June, I totally, I also cried during Jill Biden's talk. First of all, she gave her speech in a classroom oh. setting. I listen, Jim- I'm the daughter of a public school teacher. It got me but good. It really oh. did. <laughs> yes. She's also the cutest, right? Like she is just, she's the woman you want her to be your neighbor. You want her to be your aunt. You want her to be your sister. Like she's that woman. Um, And you definitely want her to be your teacher. Uh, And, and she just, and she also, the story she talks about Biden. I, you know what? Everyone um, is really hammering home the story of how he's triumphed over adversity and motherfucker has triumphed so hard over That's adversity. Right. That and is it right. is really inspiring and it is specifically the quality we need right now. And so as many times as people are repeating it, I'm there for it because I'm just like, yeah, you're right. This is an excellent point. He and knows how to triumph over adversity. Right. And you know what I love that there, there's a there's a narrative happening that's I think really important around Joe Biden and um, powerful, which is men as caretakers and yeah. men doing domestic work. And I think that we're hearing that a lot, and especially in comparison to Trump, um, I think that is a powerful message to send to boys that there is uh, that that he continued to do the labor of being a father and of going home and putting his children to bed and the investment he has made in those children um, and is is powerful. And I think that that's, especially at a time where we're all on Zoom and kind of seeing the, the, the domestic has come into public life so much, you know, we're seeing each other's children and pets and all sorts of things. I think having that insight into his domestic um, responsibilities and work as a positive, as a... Um, you know, really powerful part of his story is, I think that's really wonderful. Yeah, I love and as someone, it. as someone who, you know, and, and here's another uh, ping on a, a new definition of masculinity, 
uh, someone who can share the spotlight with a bunch of women. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like he's doing it with his VP pick. He's done it. He's done it in the past. He was always number two. And it didn't ever look like he was number two in an annoyed way or in a begrudging way. Like the show Veep was not about Joe Biden. You know what I mean? <laughs> Joe Biden was enthusiastic and excited to be a number yeah. two. It, you know, it, he felt right at home there. Right. right, And so I think he's comfortable sharing the spotlight, giving people a chance to do what they're really good at, acknowledging when people are better at him. Now, the other thing, Rob, I was wondering what you thought about um, uh, AOC um, and some of the other up-and-comers that were featured, Connor Lamb, Nikki Freed from Florida, Mary, uh, Mary Minugian from Michigan, of course, Stacey Abrams. Um, there were a lot of up-and-comers uh, showcased in the last couple of nights. Uh, what did what did you think? What what message did it did it effectively send the message it was trying to send? I mean, I think to some extent, I think really uh, it's almost like I, I hate to kind of their speechwriters, but you could almost watch some of this on mute. And in a way, it's visually that the show of unity is like almost the key point itself, uh, especially this year. I mean, compared to 2016 and everything that happened there. um, I mean, we could get into a discussion, a sub-discussion about how Sanders is completely on board for Biden and was not completely on board for Hillary, I'd, lo- uh, I'd love to have that discussion. I, I, I wonder what the I wonder what the, the the variable element was between the two of them. I can't quite I, can't quite put yeah. my penis a finger on it. <laughs> it's so hard to parse out. Right. Um, <laughs> it's the story. But, but that said, I mean, like we saw this, we saw we saw this earlier, like even before all the pandemic stuff, when the um, when the other candidates just just jumped ship right away and said, look, we're in crisis mode. We just got to get behind this guy, even though we think we could do a better job. And they all pulled out of the race, which was really unusual, too. And I think passed by so fast. I don't think we appreciated the time. But and I don't want to be in the position of saying, like, all these great people with wonderful voices like 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 Stacey and AOC, who really have something different to add to the to the discourse should be like turned into ciphers or something like that. But, you know, it's great that they can get these messages out here and also sort of find a way to be on the same team. And and I've been sort of heartened by the way that, like, you know, AOC and the other ones have, and, you know, they're very, very different parts of the party have been trying to work together, even though it's not always perfect. Uh, I think there's really, yeah. you can see the effort. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's really snidey and snarky and that's not happy and that's good. Yeah, and weirdly, AOC actually did some official task of like accepting Bernie right. Sanders' nomination <laughs> because he won delegates and someone had to officially sort of do that. But then she also used that moment. And at first I was like, why isn't she only talking about Biden or whatever? But it's like she did have this weird official role to fill. and But she also used that moment to talk about you know, policies that matter um, and that are going to matter for for our recovery. And so uh, in the, you know, there and she's also able to sort of stick to her more pure ideological guns um, and let maybe someone like, I don't know, Stacey Abrams be a little bit more politic and more, you know, mm. diplomatic. Um, uh, one thing uh, they also brought to the table was, and uh, there's going to be a few more, um, Republican speaking at the convention. <laughs> what so far we've seen John Kasich and Colin Powell, but upcoming we've got we've got Christine uh, Todd Whitman, who's governor of New Jersey, and Susan Molinari, uh, representative out of New York. Um, all of these people are Republicans. Uh, June, are you? What do you think of Republicans sharing the stage? I mean, it, it, this is also I think is related to what Rob just said, but I do think that Joe Biden is nearly he's not progressive enough 
uh, he's not progressive enough, period. But he's more progressive than um, I think any other presidential candidate. His platform is more progressive than any other presidential candidate I can recall mm-hmm. um, nominee. So I think that's important. And I think that um, I think that the Republican stuff is super strategic. And I think that it's important, too. Um, I think that therefore the swing voters who are tuning in, um, they are speaking specifically to them. And I think that they need to. Um, and it's it's tiring to me and it's sad for, you know, for many reasons. But I'm also like, I get it. Um, John Kasich and his sort of his stance on abortion is so deeply troubling that I do not feel he should be given any time. Um, and. I think that any Democrat, for me, that's really where I draw a very firm line. Like any Democrat who does not support a woman's right to her own body and essentially views women as state-owned property, um, I, I don't think should be given airtime at the convention. So I will just say that. But I understand what they're doing, and um, I hope that it works with the swing voters. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I still like, don't understand how one person voted for Trump. So, I, you know, every once in a while I pull back and I'm like, I don't understand one vote for him. But here we are. I mean, yeah, look, I think I, I think that we're in a really interesting political state where we're like excited about stuff like Black Lives Matter. We're like excited about the prospect of universal child care and universal health care. And all these things are just, we're, we're excited by words like diversity. You know what I mean? Like we are in the bag for those things, but then you have to think about a whole swath of America that is not in the bag for those things. And for them, a John Kasich or Colin Powell, you know, walk in with their khaki pants or whatever, and they're just a little comfort. They're a little comforting. Yes. Hey, listen, guys. Like we don't. We're not yeah. gonna abolish the police. Like we're not. Like they're a grilled don't worry. cheese sandwich. And I yeah. think, yeah, I, they're a grilled cheese sandwich that makes you feel good yeah. on a cold day that your mom made for you. And so, if people need that right now. Great. I'll throw a few minutes to that. I don't mind. Yes. We can, we're all invited to this party and some of us have just different uh, political proclivities, but we can all unite under we just don't want there to be evil anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. That's like a nice uniting frame for us all. Um we also saw uh I mean, you know, I think uh I'll just close on Michelle Obama. It is what it is. It is what it is. I don't remember actually the sentence before, but in her speech, she said something along the li- along the lines of "I'm going to." He's in over what, his head. What was I it? Think. He's. I don't mean to to man. He's in man over correct. his head. He's, yeah, he's 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 in over his head. Yeah, yeah, totally. he's in over his head. He's not what we need him to be. Yes, that was yes, that was it. He's not what we need him to be. And then there was a pause, and then she said, "It is what it is." It was so powerful. Because, because also it, Donnie had said it is what it is about like fucking a bunch of people dying from a pandemic he couldn't, he did nothing about. Um, and so uh, it was like not only great and callback. powerful, it was also a sick burn. And like it was just, oh, it was a, a great. A sick burn that came at the end of the going high, going low topic also, which is kind of funny. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, going going high doesn't, you know, not include like insightful phrases. He sort of threaded the needle because it wasn't quite that kind of like dirty dig. It was just like right on the level of like, you know, I'm going to use his words and you're going to sort of see it in a different yeah. context. But it was like in her classy way, but it was yeah. still, it was still, you know, it was still a dig. Yeah, I really yeah, appreciated yeah, yeah. it because I feel like there's so much conversation around Trump and because he occupies so much airspace, I think sometimes it's incredibly important for someone to speak super plainly and just say, it is what it is. Like we we are wasting so much time and energy trying to understand. There's so many articles written. There's so many, um, there's so much narrative around him that it felt like, it felt for me really refreshing for someone to just say he cannot do this and we don't need to say any yeah, more yeah. but he just that. doesn't he just doesn't know how to do yeah, it he just he's not he it can't folks. he can't he's not it uh and in and in closing i just want to say look doing a fucking convention over zoom is a tough one but i think they're doing such a fantastic job Agreed. they're really they're including a lot of interesting locations in the pre-recorded videos they're just they're doing interesting stuff with montage and editing voices together and just showing us the fabric of america through video in a way that i do i think it's exciting it makes me so excited to vote it makes me so excited to go to my early uh, voting location folks early voting um and i i i'm i'm extremely impressed and i'm really heartened by the whole thing and i want and if you do feel terror i totally fucking get it because we've been through some shit but like um let yourself not necessarily not feel terror but let yourself feel excitement for voting for just voting let oh, yourself feel that. that joy for voting um uh, let's take a quick break to hear about our sponsors uh who also are going to be excited about voting whoever they are <laughs> and then when we come back uh we're going to talk about other things Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Ugh, folks. I mean, first of all, it's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel unwanted subscriptions, and it monitors your spending, and it helps you lower your bills. But that's headline news, okay? What it has done for me, it has reminded me of the absolute ridiculous world of things that I have subscribed to. And why have I subscribed to them? Why have I wasted my money in such a way? And thank God that Rocket Money has come around to show me that, hey, Nagin, you don't need a subscription to an obscure Brazilian film archive, do you? One of the things that I found for me once oh, that was really upsetting was that I was paying for a subscription twice. It was an educational app. And you think an educational app isn't going to do you that way. But you know what? It might. It also lowered a bill for me. It lowered my cable bill. Yes, I still pay for cable. Don't worry about it. And then the other great thing is when you are trying to get rid of these subscriptions, you just do it with one tap. You don't have to like call customer service or whatever, all the other miserable things that you do when you're trying to get rid of a subscription. It just does it with one tap. That's one of the actually best things about it because I've had such a hard time in the past trying to unsubscribe from something myself. It lowers your bills for you by up to 20%. 5 million users. It has helped save an average of $720 a year, which makes sense for me because that's about as much as, that's about what I was saving. And with over $550 million in canceled subscriptions, that's what they've achieved. 
I mean, you've heard me talk about Rocket Money before. It has really improved my relationship with subscriptions. I'm going to just tell you that much. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Guys, cancel those unwanted subscriptions at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today's show is sponsored by Factor. You guys, I totally was a Factor person before they even sponsored this show because they're so delicious. And when you're constantly busy and just need a few nights of meals a week to just not have to cook, like Factor's incredible. And then for me, here's the other incredible thing is they have these delicious keto meals because I try not to eat carbs and they have these wonderful keto meals. And me and my husband have just been rejoicing in Factor meals. So here's their deal. They're ready to eat. They're fresh. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved. They're also ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week. And like I said, I had like the keto stuff, but they also have Calorie Smart. They have Protein Plus. There's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Um, I had one of their little green juice shots that I really enjoyed. And oh my God, I just remember having this one meal. It was like grilled chicken situation with like a, I want to say like a creamed spinach situation. Oh, so delicious. I remember also having like a cauliflower mash situation. I mean, they really make the veggies taste delicious. This ain't your grandma's veggies. Mm -mm. They make them fun and delicious and not at all like, oh, I'm eating healthy. It's not like that. It's like, this is fun and delicious. There's no prep, no mess. Like I said, they're ready to heat and ready to eat. So you don't have to prep, you don't have to buy stuff, ingredients, and da da da. I mean, if also, if you're like me and you're just like not terribly confident in the kitchen, you're gonna love Factor. All right, so here is what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com, all right? Head, head to factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 and use the code fakethenation50 to get 50% off. That's code fake the nation 50 at factormeals.com slash fake the nation 50 to get 50% off. It is such a good deal. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, 
The learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we are back. And before we go into topic number two, folks, you know how I love to highlight some races. So let me quickly highlight some races. Uh, Lindsey Graham is in a tight race with Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. Folks, it's a really tight race. The last poll I saw just had Lindsey Graham up by one. That's insane. A friend of mine went to law school um, with Jamie Harrison, and apparently he's wonderful. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Uh, Juan in Nashville writes that he is a proud black Yankee transplant living and working in Nashville and that there was a massive upset in the Tennessee Democratic U.S. Senate primary um, to flip the seat from Senator Senator Lamar Alexander. So running against Lamar is Black female progressive and Memphis environmentalist Marquita Bradshaw. Uh, she was widely outspent by her primary challenger and still managed an upset. She's got strong grassroots activism behind her. She's a, a legitimate candidate um, that might need a little bit more monetary and media support. Do you want to be that support? Look her up. Throw in a few shekels. Marquita Bradshaw in Tennessee. Um, also, Ben from Minneapolis writes to us that Minneapolis, uh, sorry, that Minnesota has a feature on their state website where you can actually check on the status of your mail-in ballot. So once you send it in, um, you know, they'll say whether or not it's been received. He used it. It worked like a charm. And he's wondering if other states have that. Does your state have a tool like that? Will you reach out to me like Ben did and let me know uh, what a fantastic tool that the state of Minnesota has? Uh, so um, there's a lot of early voting in this country. Uh, we should all be taking advantage of it like Michelle Obama told us to. And there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a fantastic, um, look, we're a little bit worried about mail-in ballots, but I don't, you know, there's a lot of early voting. So let's do that. Uh, and then we could all spread out. You know what I mean? Be nice and socially distant. It'll be fantastic. All right. Let's get into topic number two. We're going to just check in on the Postal Service. So the public pressure worked. The Postmaster General, um, what is his name? It's like Louis DeJoy or something. And uh, every uh, joke. I think it's Reverend Lovejoy. I'm not sure, but (laughs) back check now. Every joke has been made about that from the... Like Louis de suck, Louis de shitty, etc. Do you remember Obama had a spokesman at one point named Reggie Love? Yeah, I enjoyed that too. I That's do. just one of those names. That's no, totally. Um, he walked back his cha- his changes till at least after the elections. So. Um, I think that's a little bit of good news that we should all celebrate. Uh, The House is going to continue with their plans to vote on Saturday for a $25 billion bill to boost the funding at the Postal Service. Um, How are you feeling with the Postal Service? Rob? I'm I'm concerned. Uh, I'm very concerned because, um, look, the House passed a bill in February, I think, to try to, like, immediate this. Basically, this is the same political calculus we have going on with everything else, where I don't know if it gets to, gets to the Senate or McConnell even brings it up. Um, but, I mean, essentially, like, the, if your listeners don't know this already, they're all political experts. They probably do. But um, I just learned this, that the Republicans basically had sort of kneecapped the U.S. Postal Service by requiring them to, like, pre-fund the retiree health benefits for 75 yeah. years, which is insane. In 2006 like, or something. It's crazy. Yeah, 2006. Like, no, I don't know any business that, that pre-funds anything like that. It was clearly a, a, a move to, like, kind of cripple them in their finances. 
So they're in hock $100 billion because of this completely unnecessary thing. So that's what they would have to change in the first place. I mean, that's four times the $25 billion infusion. They could just get back to working status. But um, it's also crazy, too, because honestly, postal carriers have a pretty healthy lifestyle. I mean, they walk around. They hit their Fitbit by like 9, <laughs> 9 a.m. They've got 10,000 steps in already. And, and also, I'm like, suddenly Republicans care about health care. Like, now they're super obsessed with someone's health care. 75 years from now. <laughs> so I just, I don't see the the, mecha- the structure of it. Like, you know, unless the Senate, I don't know, the Senate is a little bit of a wild card nowadays. Some of the people are turning in them, but I don't feel like it's enough. I mean, it's so burned by impeachment that I don't trust them to do anything right. Hmm. June. Hmm. You know, I, I've always been sort of fascinated by how the Postal Service runs as a government agency. And I, I, I mean, I do think it, it actually runs really well for, um, you know, like they're, they're actually quite successful at running themselves. I think that what I wish right now is that there is a massive conversation and, and like uh, a national cry for a weekend election. And national holiday. Like, I just feel like with right now, because because of the pandemic and because of the Postal Service, I'm not saying this solves the problem of people not wanting to go to the polls and being nervous as they should about going to the polls. But I do feel like this is a year that we should be demanding the most kind of revolutionary act toward a just election as possible. And if there's any question about the Postal Service, then everybody should have the day off or we should move it over like a three-day weekend period. Uh, I just, I looked this up also. Uh, Post office is super popular. Like 90% of Americans say it's like their favorite government agency. And like... Yeah, across parties. Across parties. You'd think that Americans would love alcohol, tobacco, and firearms more than that. It's way more fun. But (laughs) No, but it's like, once again, this is this, this political thing where like, Trump is taking a deeply unpopular position in you know, the yeah. same way he has and the party has with school shootings and, you know, taxes and environment stuff, all these things like they're in the, they're in the minority of what the American people believe in this stuff. But the structure yes. keeps these things in place where like it doesn't reflect anything close to a majority well on most issues. I mean, I used to have some competing feelings about the post office. I was always like, well, what, what, like, why do we think it's a right to get our mail? Like, what should UPS and FedEx just battle it out and, like, give us all health care? Like, isn't that more of a – but, of course, now I've completely I, – I have a new understanding and education around the Postal Service and, and just why – and just how important it is. Um, right. And, and it's and not supposed to be like it's not supposed to be a fucking competitive business. It's supposed right. to be a service. Right. Right. And so um, so that's, I think, another way of of looking at it. Um, and I also want to point out. So, OK, so some of these things are being rolled back, which is fantastic. A couple of things. It's unclear, you know, uh, sorting machines that have been taken out. Are they going to be re- put back in their place or whatever? We'll see. So some there's still some some cause for alarm. But I think by and large, the other thing that has been happening with this administration is the chaos um, strategy. And that's just to make Mm. us all confused and scared all the time about everything. Steve Bannon talked about it openly, right? And so when it comes to the Postal Service, it right now, the Postal Service, as of literally today, because these changes came yesterday, may be functioning just as we've known it. Right. But we're so in a state of freak out that yeah. we're not going to trust it. And for some people, that might mean That's not enough. voting. Yeah. The you question know? alone is enough. Exactly. The question alone is enough. So, folks, don't 
like mire yourself in the fear over the postal mm. service. You know what I mean? Don't do it. Okay. Don't do it okay. because it's a part of the strategy. And we just have to be like, no, thank you. I know how I'm voting. Uh, yes. and, and a lot of us can do the early voting. A lot of us can do the early voting. Yes. And and, and your county registrar is, oh, you can always drop off your ballot. Yes, exactly. So I think be excited about that. Use the postal service if you have to. Try and get your ballot in as soon as possible so that there's no question of it arriving on time. And that's it. But otherwise, I don't want to, I don't want to like, fan fears anymore because that's just part of their strategy. Yeah. And vote.org, I will just plug this really quickly. If you go into vote.org and and you want to, I I now have it in my email signature and I've actually signed up quite a few people, but you can, you can add it to your email signature. So every email you go out, people can click on it and check to see if they've registered um, for their mail-in ballot. So I also really encourage everybody to check that out um, because you may have to request your ballot. Oh, I love that. Putting it on your email signature. I've That's signed so up like 75 people. People and then they tell the you, nation. Put that in your email signature. Fantastic. What? That's brilliant. All right. We're going to shift gears for a second here on topic number two and talk about something that has nothing to do with the uh, Postal Service. So, um, you know, the thing that's on everybody's mind is the great middle class expansion in the decades after World War II. (laughs) Everybody's talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. We wrote a piece by Jim Tankersley um, called The Real Reason the American Economy Boomed After World War II. And in it, he found that the reason we were able to build a real middle class was because opportunity were doled out not just to white men, but also to women and minorities in the wake of, of the war. Um, he cites all these studies and that basically show if you give everybody opportunities, including women and minorities, then literally everyone ben- benefits, including uh, white people. So um, I guess my first question, Rob, is what did you think of this portrayal of uh, post-World War II America and this argument? You mean the good times? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, this is like America in a nutshell. It's both like inspiring and horrifying at the same time, because it was this huge wave of like democratization and equality of opportunity and stuff. But it only, it was like literally the last choice that America wanted, was willing to make structurally. I mean, like when I, when I mean, like the only reason they gave opportunities to, to non-white men was because of the Nazis. <laughs> America got more free and equal because of the Nazis, which is the, the greatest irony of all this. Right, and because like a lot of people were also, a lot of the dudes were away at war, or there was just a lot being wrapped up in that, and so they sort of needed more bodies to do jobs. But that was the only reason you know? they were going to, anyone was going to budge on this stuff. That's what's like sort of like striking to me about it. Yeah, and, 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 and he also points out just so that, you know, he doesn't point, paint that rosy a picture, that these changes were then rolled back in the 70s and 80s when white dudes started consolidating power. Uh, so that's so so his characterization is that it's not like, you know, it it's not like it's gone on. Uh, June, what did you think? You know, it's interesting. This is like slightly, I, I hope this isn't too off topic, but one thing that came up for me was this idea of like investing in, in, in the most vulnerable among us. Mm-hmm. Um, because because I think it's so r- related to why we are in the position we're in. And I mean, even on, you know, I, I was thinking about just paying taxes and how th- that, you know, I, I wish we all sort of looked at it in a, in a celebratory way of like, oh, I'm making an investment in my community. And even when you get your paycheck, like you could see um, you could see the infrastructure that you're actually investing in. Um, I mean, 
you might get really depressed to see like military spending versus education. But that basic idea of um, investing in the most vulnerable among us and pushing back against the individualism of Americans and the not wanting to wear a mask themselves, um, as opposed to like, oh, if we all do this, if we all invest in this, we actually all do better. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, 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 it directly relates to us today. You know, yes. um, what, one thing I'll point out is it, he made no mention of unions in his piece, which mm. I thought was like a little bit of a mistake there, but you know, cause unions had such a big role in like keeping competitive workplace standards and that sort of thing, fair, fair, uh, workplace standards, um, and, and benefits. Uh, and so that also helped with the creation of a middle class, but this is like, I, I, I was, I gravitated toward this piece because I thought I not even necessarily investing in the most vulnerable among us, but the most overlooked among us. And there's so many studies like, an immigrant, just some random immigrant is known to, the studies have shown it creates something like 1.7 additional jobs. Mm. Each like immigrant in the country creates more work. Uh, so there's, um, there's so much proof that like, that these overlooked communities are an economic boon. And what we need right now is economic Boon, right? Um, and we can see, like, if we were to take that sort of post-World War II era model and, and World War II era model of, like, the WPA and all of that stuff, um, we can start programs like that for green jobs and for infrastructure where we obviously need it. Like, we need a WPA for the new millennium. We've been able to do it before. We've been able to create a middle class before. Mm -hmm. We can do it again. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge yeah. is, the challenge mm -hmm. here is, like, we have all the information, and it's, again, these things like vaccines or climate change, like, the information's out there, and, and what did people choose to believe or listen to about that? But the more important thing is, I feel like, a lot of Americans have this sort of zero-sum idea, no matter how many proofs you show them about, like, immigrants helping with the economy and creating jobs. There's this basic idea, like, if you help a minority or an immigrant, that takes away from me. It's sort of this sort of white American view, I think, that we have right. to sort of get beyond. Which, actually, honestly, Trump could use that as a campaign slogan tomorrow. I think. <laughs> I'm put that on a bumper sticker. Stop doing the, their writing for them, Rob. I know, I know. I, I, help, I help across all parties. I'm a giver. <laughs> Um, no, but it's true. Like that, there. I think it's it's a perception problem. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a cultural problem. There is a way we can shift. Like I'm, I've been watching the Last Dance, um, the Michael Jordan, uh, the Bulls documentary, and he kept getting MVP for many years. Like he was w widely considered the best player in the league, but he just couldn't win championships. And the reason they started winning championships is when he managed to kind of like put his ego aside, help build up the rest of the team. And then the rest yeah. of the team did well. Then guess what? He not only got MVP, but he also got fucking championships. America, what? Can Michael Jordan just teach us this one fucking lesson already? Like, this is what happens when everybody on the team can grow yes. and prosper. Then literally, we all grow and prosper, including the one guy who, was, who had a harder time giving up his, his power. Mm. Um, yes, that's right. That's, that's right. the thing. Nagin, come on. Don't you remember the one American guy who won World War II for us? 
<laughs> when that's, that's exactly it. Like, we don't do these things on our own, motherfuckers. Uh, and it's a perception thing and it's a cultural thing. Like, I want to see, you know, um, Drake, like, writing, you know, songs about um, team building. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, true, but we love that narrative of like self being self made, yeah, and it, right. it really is a no, myth. Fuck right? that narrative. Like, fuck are, that narrative. Yeah, all of I mean, I'm sure all three of us on this call can name so many people who made us, <laughs> who mm-hmm. who you know, um, and the collective as education we've received. But but that is a narrative like we are the self made narrative we are so addicted to in this country. Yes, it's um, so American. And it's, it, it's truly like if not now, if not at a point when we are. We are quite literally all sick because we could not act on behalf of community. We could not act on behalf of each other. Um, And it has made us ill. (laughs) Um, If we have not understood it now, I I just don't know when. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. But but I'm hopeful about what you said. Like, you're absolutely right. We we have done it before and we can do it again. We have done it before and we can do it again. And on that note, we're going to move on to topic number three. Seamless segue. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm trying to end. Uh, we're, we're only doing optimism on Fake the Nation. I so, like, it. I'm trying to, like, uh, kind of wrap everything up with optimism, though, because I, I actually it. feel that way. Um, and let's get into topic number three. So we read a piece in The Atlantic called What is Masterclass Actually Selling by Karina Chicano? And in it, she tries to distill what it is about Masterclass that drew her in when she opted to take this James Patterson novel writing class. And she wrote... Quote, any hapless hand-to-mouth mid-lister can provide instructions on outlining a novel. Masterclass dangled something else, a clear-cut path out of the precariat, the magic bean shortcut to a fairy tale ending, the secret to ever-elusive success. She put a fucking a lot of intensity on that one James Patterson class that she took. <laughs> And I was, I'm wondering, first off, from 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 you two, um, have either of you felt the pull of, like, great courses or masterclass, these types of things? Have, ever you, uh, have either of you felt that pull, June? Yes. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I am a, a lifelong learner. I love, I love a class. I have to be. I love a class. I love a class setting. I love... Uh, getting ready for my class. There's something about the ritual of it that I absolutely love. And um, I will say I do have a masterclass membership and I've, I've never used it. Um, but I, (laughs) so that's where I struggle, but I do think, um, yeah, they're selling directly to me. Like I, I am absolutely the customer, uh, for this. Rob, have you been lured in? Not exactly, but I will say that somehow, um, it's, the masterclass trailers have like infiltrated my Facebook feed constantly. They're beautifully shot. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I, um, I, I look at it as almost a little bit of escapism fantasy for me more than actually doing it. It's almost like, you know, uh, life change porn, maybe. Um, like I watch the trailers over and over again, which is sort of ridiculous since I can almost like recite them from memory, but I just do it. It's just kind of, an, it's like a window into like, <laughs> oh, here's this person having this life right here. That's like, you know, this great thing where they've taken their passion and combined it with the marketplace and they're, they're living the dream. But to, to me, the, the funniest part of all this is that James Patterson, if people don't know this, famously has other writers doing his a lot of his books for him, and they come what? out under his name. So he's like the least self-made. I mean, you know, he got to where he is now, but it's like he's definitely – it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. This, this illusion of like you do things by yourself as an individual in America versus you have a whole army of people helping you who are nameless. Like – 
and then the masterclass plays right into that fantasy of like, you can just do this yourself if you're touched by one of these other geniuses and they'll pass the genius torch along to you and you don't have to work with other people or do the work. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I have not uh, fallen prey to the lore of masterclass. I mean, I, I think it's, or, or just like these classes in general, I mean, I've, I've, I've engaged in them before and I think it's, you know, Interesting, and it's funny because I have on my to-do list to, like, do one or two of them, like, at all times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I keep meaning to get to it. Um, and and I think there's a couple things. One, I think it's really – it can be really fun to learn about something that is not at all what you do. Like, I can see myself, you know, kind of being, like, you know, looking into the sort of – um, sciencey ones or whatever, like stuff that's just not at all what I do. Um, just because it just seems like a, I, it, I would, it would be interesting or that it could make me interesting at a cocktail party. Listen, <laughs> and isn't that what we're, all, we all need to invest in? Well, is there something about that where we all, is there something about these types of things? And it started, by the way, it's not just Masterclass. It sort of started before Masterclass with the YouTube tutorial, right? Mm. The just sort of endless YouTube tutorial. Um, and that is, is there something about that that we're all expected to, like, have extra expertise or is there do you feel some pressure about that is that what it I, might be it's so hard because on the one hand I'm like I love you know it, I mean I grew up on Long Island in a in a suburb of New York City but but worlds away in so many ways and and it felt like I didn't have access even though I was on the coast to like the cool hip things mm-hmm. I was so craving that so there's mm-hmm. something I love about like all of these 14-year-olds doing makeup tutorials and especially boys, too, doing makeup tutorials in the middle of their towns in Bumblefuck, USA and having huge followings and having that affirmation, of course, but also, like, giving kids so much more access to these right. things that that I think for many of us growing up, like, felt so elusive and felt like someone else's life. Um so I think there's sort of a democracy to it where you can learn. I mean, I taught myself how to crochet on YouTube. I taught myself how to do many things on YouTube, how to do a strong cat eye. And I appreciate <laughs> that that content is there. Um, and uh, and I also appreciate that I'm learning it from unlikely sources <laughs> that these are not these are not the masterclass teachers these are the you right, know amateur and again i've yes some are 11 years old some are quite quite young um and they but they have skills and i love i like i do appreciate that exchange you know I, it's inter- what's what's funny about all of these things is that um, they're not designed for a specific skill level. They're just super general. So you're, so if you're looking at it like I want to become James Patterson, I mean James Patterson is many rungs above you. So first you should maybe learn how to be the thing above you, and then you should learn how to be the thing above that. Right? It's like there. It's it's sort of. So it's not. I think it's mostly to feel inspired that you could one day be uh, James Patterson or Margaret Atwood or Dan Brown or Shonda Rhimes or Judd Apatow or Annie Leibovitz or any of these people that have done these classes. Um, it, 
I th- but I think the weird other side of it is, Robin, I don't know if you feel this, that it gives people, that it might give people a false idea. First of all, I think too many people want to be famous and they don't actually want to have a craft, right? And so, and that's, I'm not saying anything new. A lot of people feel that way. Uh, so, so to me, it's, I think some people are like, well, I could be like Shonda Rhimes. I mean, Shonda Rhimes has fucking craft, but what you really might want from her is her fame, right? Her power. Um, so, so I think part of this is maybe selling that thing, which I feel is not a great thing to sell. Rob, what does you think? I agree. I think, I think honestly, like basically, I mean, the YouTube thing really clarified that for me because that's just people almost anonymously sharing their skills with the world and the universe, which is just a beautiful thing. And I've used it tons of times too, but masterclass is more like selling a mystique or selling a dream in a certain way, or almost even selling like a famous person's personality. I think they they figured out how to monetize that, which, you know, I think, you know, you can sort of see its limits with uh, maybe someone like Anna, when Anna Wintour has one on there. And I'm just imagining the person who's like, I don't know where I'm going with my life, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow her example and just start a fashion magazine and yell at people. And that's going to sort of, you know, I think people are more interested in the persona. Like she's a strong boss type. And it's like, they like, this is sort of like, it's almost like therapeutic. Like I can aspirationally be the successful person if I just believe in myself or not. So it's like selling a completely different set of of skills. And it is unrealistic to some extent, but it is, you know, part part of the American circus, I think to some extent is that you think everyone wants to reach for the stars and that's why we're great. And also why we're unable to help our fellow scrabblers among us too, because we're all, all looking at the top, the top achievers. And yeah. so not looking to working together. I think the thing that does excite me about it, I think there's the, there's the the horrors of it, but then there's also the idea that like just inter- interrupting some of our notions around education and who gets to have access to it and where and why. And for people who are stuck in their homes for various reasons, not just because of the pandemic, um, giving like resources outside of like traditional educational settings is, I think that's cool. Right. And that's actually, you know, one of the things that the the founder pointed out to um, one of his motivations, right, was to sort of um, democratize the learning and, and wrest some of these, you know, like fine arts away from the elite, for example, um, give people access uh, in a way in, in a more, you know, financially sustainable way. Can we just democratize um, democracy first? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, but it, the other funny thing about it, it's like, June, you mentioned like you like prepping for a class. Um, this has all of the teaching and none of the evaluation, right? So it's sort <laughs> yes. of like, it's sort of like part of the thing with class is that you then do a homework assignment and you get judged for it. You know, it's it's an indicator of how much you learned. And here there is no indicator. The only thing you have to count on is your own sense of whether or not you picked up that skill and you could be totally delusional. <laughs> yep. So again, it kind of wants it. The, the whole thing makes me feel like go to, um, around other people. I I, I don't, it's like, I don't want anything in our, in society to keep us being inward and self-reflective and me, 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 uh, self, self, self. I, I want more opportunities for people to go out and, and hear other people and then be able to like 
make judgments vis-a-vis others and something like all of these trends are not about that, you know? I don't disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) But But I also like the democratizing factor. I mean, you know, of course. I mean, reaching for the dream Sorry, without having to do the work is also very American, too. So, or at least yeah. in the popular notion, not actually how, right, how it has happened for great Americans. None They've of actually these done people the work didn't and we do the it. work. Right. But, but that's the thing. But that's the thing. That's the, the, the truth about all these fuckers is they all did so much hard work, you know, to get there. Um, and so, uh, that's something I, I I I feel like people should always remember. We, we we've gone from like we used to like valorize Edison for like you know trying like you know ninety nine percent perspiration one percent inspiration and just trying hundreds of things before you got a filament that made a light bulb. That used to be like a heroic tale that we told, and now it's like almost the opposite, yeah. where it's like, hey, Edison just had this idea for a light bulb overnight, and he just wrote it down on a napkin, and the next right. day, boom, electricity. <laughs> right. <laughs> he made an app called the light bulb. Um, <laughs> all right, folks, that is the end of the show. And at the end of the show, I like to ask our panelists, what is g- making them feel hopeful these days? Mm. Um, hmm. I know. It's <laughs> it could be anything mm. though. It could be a small, dumb thing. It could be a huge thing. It doesn't okay, matter. So I, you know, I've been doing these phone banks with Reclaim Our Vote, and I feel like the attendance and the energy behind it, um, when I see people show up, we do them on Zoom, and um, more and more people show up every week. And it's, it's re- and, and we kind of chat about the conversations we're having, because uh, Reclaim Our Vote specifically reaches out to um, people of color. Right now, we're focused on Southern districts, and... Um, a, a lot of places where people have been thrown off the rolls, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah, so I, I've been really optimistic about that, about just how many people are engaged right now in activism. Love that. Yes. Rob? All right, my petty one is um, is going to Twitter and seeing someone stupid get ratioed. <laughs> just the huge pile on <laughs> of like, any, like anyone who makes any of these points just getting like totally like annihilated. That's just my personal satisfaction. <laughs> But I think also I, I, I agree with, with June and um, I feel like there's a 2018 energy, organizing energy yeah. going on here. And it's like yes. to, to the nth degree because it, we saw that it worked. And I think people know how the stakes are really like now. And I think there's no – and also, honestly, people have, sometimes people have time now for it. So I think yes. people are, are full on, hands, all hands on deck. That's true. And I will say, so I, I know I started off this podcast and be feeling really hopeless and I, I feel badly about that. But I also, <laughs> I, 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 one of my friends told me she did this two days before her period where she would mark the calendar with an H when she like knew she was going to start her period to stand for hopeless. So I'm also in a hopeless time <laughs> hormonally. So I, I expect this to turn around in two days. Um, no, I feel like you, I feel like you did a good job Thanks. turning it around in this Thanks. one episode. Um, I, so there's a couple things making me feel hopeful and, and same as you, June, I was on a call, uh, with, um, I, jo- I joined our local political progressive, um, club uh, called CODA here in the Lower East Side in New York City. If anyone's interested, it's called CODA. And, uh, you know, I did the Zoom call and it was just like the who's who of fantastic, hopeful people on this uh, call. We were talking about actions and um, and I just was like, this is great. It was also super diverse, like super intergenerational, super everything. It was it was everything that you want out of, you know, uh, a Zoom call. Um, but there was a lot... Um, 
I just felt like that energy was so infectious and I felt really good after um, joining CODA and going to that first meeting. Um, and also, I have to say, uh, I did my first live stand-up show on a rooftop with New York Comedy Club, folks. New York Comedy Club doing it. And I got to be honest, I was sitting in the audience before I had to go up watching other comedians <laughs> perform, bless them all. And I had, and I released oh, wow. a tear of joy because live performance is so mm. fantastic and it just got me excited about the future and when we all get to do that again um so so there you go those are the two things uh that are making me feel real hopeful but what i would like is for the people of fake the nation to be able to follow you and all the things you do june how do they do that so yes you can um head to my twitter i uh, I'm Ms. June Diane on Twitter and at June Diane on Instagram. And you can also um, check out the Jane Club, which I was uh, talking a little bit about before we started uh, this podcast. Speaking of community, this is a community space. Um, we started a physical location in LA in March. We turned into a digital location and we're really focused on mothers and caretakers and providing them with a whole real village of resources from uh, classes for your children, talent shows for the kids on Friday afternoons, and um, to workout classes for our parents and tons of community gatherings. We do phone banks three days a week. We have a lot of activist opportunities for people to show up and do that work together in community. Um, and uh, it's been a really wonderful – I've gotten so much out of it since the since the pandy hit, and I um, – it's, it's turned into a really beautiful online village of sorts. Um, so if anyone wants to know more about that, they can head to janeclub.com, and I will throw out my special offer code for any listeners, which is Insider. Ooh. Yes, $10 off your first month, It's uh, which would be $40 a month, and it's Insider Jane FF. Wow. Okay. That's great. I love that. I love that so much. Rob, where do people find you and all of your things? Uh, RobCutter.com. Very creative. Um, it lists all my new projects. Um, I'm on Twitter at Apocalypse How. And, and I have a new topical comedy show that just premiered. And it's on this thing called Tubi, which some of you may have seen in your Roku or it's also something you can get online. It's basically sort of a free Netflix platform that has a lot of shows from other places and movies. Um, I didn't even really know about it, but uh, I have a new topical comedy show that kind of takes on, instead of politicians, it takes on a lot of the excesses of corporations and how they're kind of twisting and distorting our culture. And it has a lot of great people like Louis Black and Rachel Tratch and Oscar Nunez are in it and doing really outrageous kind of stunts and sketches to get people's attention about how like companies exploit our uh, our fear of death and they exploit us at funerals and also food delivery services screw out of screw out um, mom and pop restaurants out of out of their business and that sort of thing all these kind of mm -hmm. things that are going on in our culture but not you know but that we can do something about so it's a fun show and it's called gander and it's on the 2b thing which you can find as i said online or on your roku or whatever it's a free it's entirely free oh that sounds fantastic gander get it on your roku or online gander um and folks you know where to find me uh and i i just want to again promote new york comedy club if you're in new york city they're just doing such great outdoor programming and i love it um and you know you you know where to 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 hear me on all of the other things but what i would really like to do 
do is thank all of the people that make this show possible. Uh, that is our producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, and Caitlin Maldenauer. Um, Gabby Alter wrote our theme music, and Lily Fleshler helps out with research. And we love hearing from you. So send us your feedback, topics, topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas. Leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005 or drop us a line at comments@fakethenation.com If you like what you hear, please favorite Fake the Nation on Stitcher, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, uh, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps more people find the show. Uh, you've been delightful and we'll be back next week. <laughs>